Jesus came to save a diverse people. And through his blood and the indwelling of the Spirit, we are now invited to live as a harmonious, unified family. This series will help you step into the life, teaching, and empowering presence of Jesus so you can follow him in your home, with your finances, and in your vocation. Hear the word of the Lord. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and send them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you may also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered him. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. You have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the the ones who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. All right, well, I was gonna say good morning, but I've already, I guess I can say good morning. Good morning, sojourn, peace be with you. (laughs) I'm gonna move this because just in the event that the spirit comes on me and I don't wanna hit the stand, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that was for you, Rob Shetler. So. <laughs> All right. Well, whenever I was um, first a Christian, so one of the one of the really beautiful things about belonging to a local church is that you can become friends. You can develop a relationship with people who um, people who don't look like you, people who are different ages than you, have different stations in life. Um, it's one of the last places in the world that you can develop relationships with people who aren't exactly like you. And I was able to develop a relationship with a man who, when we became friends, was in his 70s. And we remained friends until he passed away um, into his early 80s. And his name was Leonard. And Leonard was a World War II veteran. And he, uh, when he came back from the war, um, he worked a variety of jobs, but he worked those kind of jobs where you worked with your hands. Um, he worked the kind of jobs where you were cutting wood and cutting hay and bush hogging fields. He was working those kind of jobs and he, he knew a lot about um, cutting wood and he knew a lot about tractors and the like. And near the end of his life, he and I, was really the last conversation that Leonard and I had as he was talking about some work that he did. And what had happened was, is the church that he was a part of had bought a plot of land and they were expanding. And he knew a lot about what it was like to clear, to clear 
woods and brush and a bush hog and to mow and the things like that. And so he, he was retired and he gave himself to help out with that work. And whenever Leonard was talking to me about what that time was like in his life, and I never seen the man and ever heard the man kind of grumble about that kind of work, because, you know, that type of work is really difficult work. I mean, I, I, can, remember, I can remember growing up and my um, father and the neighbors would do that kind of work, and at various times, you know, my dad would say, you know, you stay away because we're doing these kind of things, and it could be dangerous. And I remember one time my father clearing out brush, um, a tractor, he almost flew off the tractor because it popped a wheelie and he almost went backwards. And that, you know, at best he would have been seriously injured, but at most he would have been killed. So I was familiar with the kind of work that the man was talking about and how difficult it was and how much you had to respect the machinery and the tools that you were using. And I never heard the man ever kind of grumble about doing that kind of work. And I remember the last conversation I have as he's talking to me about what it was like to do that kind of work. He, he raised his eyes and he raised his hands towards heaven as if he was getting ready to start singing a praise song. And he said that when he was doing this work, he said, I knew that the Lord was with me there. And more so than, more so than any of the books I've read, about a theology of work more so than, than things I've encountered, more so than any kind of idea about how great work is like or, or whatever, through that man and through that man's life, I encountered this idea more so than anything. And that is that work is an act of worship and that that we are made to work and that God does his work through us. Like that man found God in a place that's marked by wood chips and gasoline. But that's what he was made to do. You see, when you look in the scriptures, like the, the posture of that man's heart is reflective of what we find in the Bible. Because what we find in the Bible is we find a God who created men and women for work. And he calls work good. And, and in fact, men and women have the privilege of doing his work in the world. And that when they work, whatever it is that they're doing, they are fulfilling God's mission in the world. You have that message throughout all of the scriptures, but specifically... As we are back in the Gospel of Matthew, we have it in Matthew chapter 20. We have an illustration of that in this parable, in that we have a parable known as sometimes the parable of, of the workers of the vineyard or the parable of the landowner. You have this story about a, an interaction between um, a man who owns land and some workers that he hires. And so as we we think about this text. We think about the broader teaching of the scriptures. And then for that matter, illustrated through the life of my friend Leonard. All these things in mind. It's, it's my basic point today is this. Is the grace of God liberates us to work now. It's the only thing I care that you get from this message is this. God's grace liberates us to work right now. 
Now, how does God's grace liberate us to work right now? Well, by three ways. First, by making our work meaningful. First, by making our work meaningful. Second, by warning us of the dangers of envy. Second point would be warning us of the dangers of envy. And then third, by the promise of future rewards. First, by making our work meaningful. So as the passage begins, Jesus tells this story and he makes a comparison about what the kingdom is like. Look here with me in verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. So the Lord Jesus here starts out by saying that the the kingdom of of God, here Matthew uses his kind of traditional, um, the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like this. Now, what is Jesus doing here? Well, you have to understand that Jesus is speaking to um, Jesus is speaking primarily to Jewish people, and Matthew's gospel is written um, primarily for a Jewish audience. And the basic point in the gospel of Matthew, if you were to summarize Matthew in three words, it's this: Jesus is King. Jesus is King is the basic point of the entire book, and so you will oftentimes have a lot of discussions about the kingdom of. God, or more commonly in Matthew, the kingdom of heaven. And what is he talking about? Well, he's he's touching on an old truth. And he's actually rooting things uh, back into the Old Testament. It is common in the Old Testament to, to have this phrase, the Lord reigns, the Lord is king. So you'll find that in um, Psalm 93. You find that in Psalm 97, verse 1. And it it comes from the basic conviction of the Bible is that the God of the Bible is the king. He is the ruler of all. And why is he the ruler of all? Because he's the maker of all. So their kingdom is is pushed all the way back into the early, to the very beginning of the Bible with our understanding of creation, that there is a God and he is the creator of man. And so he's using kingdom language. And when you go to Genesis, you you find kingdom-like language. You find royal language whenever you're looking at it with regards to work. So before there was sin in Genesis 3, and before, for that matter, there was marriage at the end of Genesis 2, there was work. Genesis 2.15, God gives Adam a job. He actually gives him a job before he gets married. And so then when you look in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, it says this about work, that, that, that the working man and woman are to fill the earth and they are to bring it in under God's dominion. They are to subdue the earth. Well, subdue and dominion, um, are that's royal language. That's what kings and queens and prince and princesses do. That's what military leaders do. And so when Jesus is speaking about kingdom, he's pulling, he's pulling his, his audience all the way back into the early chapters of Genesis so that they can start making the connections. And the reality is, is, is God illustrates, he gives a picture of what his work is like in the world um, through the image of an honest day's worth of work. He could, think about this, Jesus could illustrate 
what work is like in any way what he wants to. He could illustrate what, what God's work or what the kingdom is like in any way he wants to, but what does he do? He chooses an honest day's worth of work to say, look, this is how things are with God. Look at what an honest day worth of work looks like. So think about, think about what it is with, um, with my friend Leonard. Leonard used axes to cut wood. Why? Well, because that's what the tool is made for. The tool is made in such a way that you swing it and it splits wood. The man used gas cans to fill up gas tanks. Why? Well, because that's what the tank is designed to do, to carry gas, to use it to fill um, into a tractor or a lawnmower or whatever it is that he's using it. He's using these things. He's putting on gloves. Why? Well, because gloves are designed to protect your hands from some sort of outward element, whether it's the cold or whether it's thorns and thistles and whatnot. And the truth of the matter is, is just like you use mowers to cut grass, just like you use gloves to cut to cover your hands, just like you use gas tanks to carry gas because that's what they were made for, so God uses you to do work because that's what you were made for. You see, you see, friends, work is meaningful because that's what we were made to do. God designed us. He designed our bodies. He designed our minds. He designed the world such that we can, we can fulfill his mission in the world regardless of what it is that we're doing. So all of work, regardless of what it is, is meaningful because that's what God's designed us to be doing. So regardless of whether you're loading brush or you're doing laundry, it's meaningful because that's what God's made you to do. Like whether you're doing medicine or you're, you're a mechanic, regardless of what it is, is work is good because God's designed us to do work. And in fact, this is a truth that we need to embrace is God does his work in the world when you clock into work. God does his work into the world when you get your kids up and get ready, get them ready for school. God does his work whenever you go to school and you study and you mind your books, as some people say. God does his work in the world when you do your work in the world. This is how he's made it. And so we embrace that truth regardless of what it is and however it might be mundane it is or, or however spectacular it is. Whether it's spectacular or it's mundane, whether it's great or whether it's boring, regardless of what it is, if it's work that you're doing, God is working through you. And that's a truth that we need to embrace. And thus, it, it provides meaning. Like, we need to embrace that truth because some people work for a variety of reasons. Maybe they're, they're just slugging at work because they're trying to, to pay off all their debts. And so there's not an openness. There's not a freedom to it. There's a burden to it, right? And so I'm just doing this because, what? well, I've got to get myself out of this loan or whatever. And, and what does that work feel like whenever you approach it as if it's, it's only out of burden? Or some people are only doing work because it's, it's kind of like they're just trying to occupy their time so that they can get to the next fun thing to do on the weekend. 
And here's the thing is that there's a place to consider work is that work enables you to meet your needs and to pay off your debts or to enable you to purchase things that you need or want. And there's a place to say that work enables you to do things for a period of time so that you can rest and enjoy yourself and, and have recreation and, and so on. But with that being said, we have to resist the temptation and we have to resist the lie that says we're just working for the weekend. Like we're just kind of occupying our time until we get to do the good stuff. And the reality is, is God shaped work in such a way that he looks at you and says, you, when you are doing whatever it is that you're doing, whether you're a nurse, whether you're a teacher's aide, whether you're a grandparent, watching your grandchildren, whatever it is, you are doing God's work in that very moment. And that's a truth that we need to embrace. Second, God's grace liberates us to work now by warning us of the dangers of envy. So as the story continues, what you'll see is, you'll see there's a landowner, there's somebody who owns land, and he goes about and he starts hiring people and in kind of shifts. Look here with me at verses three through seven. About nine in the morning, he went out and he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same. About five in the afternoon, he went out and still found others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because nobody's hired us, they answered. And he said, you also go and work in my vineyard. So what happened was, is the landowner goes about and he starts hiring people at different times. So he starts first by hiring people a little bit before 9 a.m. at some point. And then he hires people at 9 a.m. And then he hires them at noon and then at three and then at five. So he hires them kind of in waves. Um, and so, so remember that because some people are gonna end up working 11, 12 hours. Some people are gonna end up working about eight hours. Some people are gonna end up working about five hours. And some people are gonna end up working about two hours, three hours. So they're all working different amounts. Okay. Let's look here at what takes place beginning in verse 8. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the workers and pay them wages, beginning with the last one hired and go to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. And so when those who were hired first and they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who bore the burden of the work and the heat of the day. So what happened was, is even though they had worked different amounts of time, they all got paid the same amount. They all got paid one denarius which is one day's worth of pay. Now, according to Deuteronomy 24, landowners were supposed to, to pay you at the end of the day. That was, that was the law of God. You got paid daily in those days. But what happened was, is the landowner paid everybody one day's worth of pay regardless of when they 
started working. How does that strike you? Everybody ended up with the same amount, regardless of the work that they put in. And how does that settle with you? Well, here's how it settled with some of the people. They weren't happy about it. And they started grumbling. And they said, wait a minute, you mean to tell me, uh, this is the new Travis paraphrase, okay? This is not in the text, but um, this is just uh, my own interpretation as if I was there. You mean to tell me that I started working at 7.30 in the morning and then I'm working in Israel, so it gets really hot in that area. And I'm getting one day's worth of pay, even though this guy over here started working at five when it's starting to cool down, and he only worked until sunset. I just don't know that's right. Now, how would the landowner respond? Is the landowner going to say, you know what, you got a point. You know, you're, you're right. And this doesn't seem to be shaken down um, maybe the way that it should. Well, let's look at how the landowner responds. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give to the one who was hired last the same as I gave to you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? The landowner didn't, didn't give in to the grumbling. The landowner started asking questions. The landowner started asking questions, one, about his right as the landowner. And two, he started asking questions about the way they started interpreting what he was doing with his own money. Because what the landowner says is, everybody got justice. Everybody got what they agreed to. He said, I'm going to pay you one day worth of pay from the time that I hire you. And so some people got hired at whatever, eight in the morning. Some people got hired at noon. Some people got hired at three. Some people got hired at five. And everybody got what was promised to them. Some people got mercy. Some people got to escape the heat. Some people got to have a shorter workday. How come? Well, because the landowner said he was being generous. And the landowner asked a question, am I free to do what I want with my own money? So the question is, is does he have freedom? And then the second question is, is he free to be generous? That, in theological terms, on free generosity, is what we would call grace. 
before you understand anything about the grace of God, and we were just singing about the grace of God. And in this church, we've had a, we've had a tendency, a good tendency to emphasize the grace of God. As in, we have purposefully made it a point to make that an emphasis to repeat that the grace of God is a good and beautiful and wonderful thing. We've done that on purpose. Why? Well, because you can go from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible and you see the theme of grace. But what does grace have to do with? You have to understand that grace means God's free. God is free to do whatever he wants. God is free to do whatever he wants and nobody makes expectations. Nobody can place expectations on God about anything. Why? Because he's God and we're not. And guess what? He's free to be generous to who he wants to be generous to. And when people grumble against God about his generosity to some and not to others, guess what God says? He says, you don't get to tell me what to do. Now, what does that have to do with work? Well, it has everything to do with work. Let me ask you, have you ever encountered somebody at work that they got a promotion and you just didn't think they deserved it? Have you ever encountered jobs to where you say, you mean to tell me you make that much money and that's all you do? <laughs> that got a little bit of a chuckle. <laughs> I'm sure none of you have. I, I'm speaking from my heart on this one, okay? Have you ever, have you ever encountered, have you ever encountered somebody that they were the best person for the job? They were the best pick. They were the hardest worker. They had good relationships with their workers and so on. And they were passed over for somebody else who nobody liked. Maybe they didn't have experience. They, had, they didn't understand how to do the job. They didn't have the qualifications, the skills, the ability, or the rapport with their coworkers to do the job. But they got the job and the person who deserved, deserved it didn't. Have you ever encountered that? And do you know why that kind of stuff happens? Because God's free. He is free to do what he wants. And when we encounter things in the world, whatever it is with regards to work, when we encounter things in the world that cause us to grumble, when we see it in our workplace and we cause, it causes us to grumble, we have to understand. So the application is you have to understand, you have to hear the warning, Christian, that envy is saying to God, you have no right to do this. Envy is saying to God, you can't be generous to anybody unless you clear it up with me first. It's all got to be equal. It's all got to be the same. It's all got to be exactly the way that I think it needs to go down. Envy says to God, you have no right to do what you want. And we have to be warned of that. We have to be warned of that. <clears throat> We have to be warned with regards to, let's say we're saying, you know what, this is not fair. And you know what, you might have a point. There may be things that go on in your workplace that are not fair. And there's a place to say, hey, look, is this being fair? Does this correspond to the, to, to the balance between equal and indifferent that we see in scriptures with regards to justice? There's a place to do that. But we have to check our hearts. This is a call to self-examination because how, how much of that desire for fairness is really just envy. It's playing itself out. I mean, rarely are people so honest as to say, I just think I'm so great I deserve more than everyone else. 
And so we have to check our hearts as to say, God, please keep me from envy. So let's make that our prayer. We, we try to emphasize the Lord's prayer in this church. And one of the things that Jesus says is what? Lead us, in, lead us not into what? Temptation. Temptation to be envious. God help us. We can't do that on our own. Our hearts are prone to assume that we're in the right all the time. So let's make it our prayer. Lord, lead us not into temptation. Hey, there are plenty of things. Work is broken, okay? Genesis 2 is the beginning of work. Genesis 3 is when work gets busted, okay? And that's when Adam and Eve sins. And yes, there you will be dealing with thorns and thistles and from the sweat of your brow, God says to Adam, you're going to be doing work. That means work's not going to go the way it's supposed to go. And with that being said, that doesn't mean that God's calling work evil. He still says that it's good. But it also means that we don't always evaluate what's going on in the world from pure motives. These people evaluated the landowner and they said, you're not the one who's pure. You're not being fair. And the reality is, is, the problem was with them because the landowner says, it's my money and I can be free and generous if I want to. And the other warning that we have in this passage, church, from this with regards to shame or with regards to envy is envy always results in shame. The landowner calls these people friend. He says, don't I have the right to do with with my own money, what I want, friend. There's three times in Matthew's gospel that friend is used. It's always during a time of public rebuke. This passage in chapter 22, you have another rebuke that is provided in a parable of people who don't take the second coming of Jesus serious. And then they are publicly rebuked. They were called friend. And it does not mean that in an affectionate way. And then the third time and the most famous is in Matthew 26, verse 50, when Judas approaches Jesus and he kisses him. And Jesus says to him, you betray me with a kiss, friend. And that's not an example of Jesus being meek and mild. That's the last interaction that Matthew records that Jesus has with Judas. And Judas is overwhelmed with remorse because Judas sold out the son of man for 30 pieces of silver. And he didn't realize, I guess, that Jesus was going to end up dying over that act of betrayal. And what does he do? He is filled with remorse. And then what happens to him? He takes his own life. Why? Because envy's not going to work out for us. It always results in shame. And, and there's no reason for it because the grace of God liberates us that it, it doesn't really matter. You know, it doesn't matter who God's generous to or not. If we're coming from a heart that is accepting of the, gra the grace of God, we can be fine whenever things don't go our way at work. We can be fine with it. And we don't have, we don't have to deal with the consequences and the shame that comes along with it. And so the grace of God liberates us to work and it warns us, stay away from envy. And then third, through the promise of future rewards. So the passage 
ends with a summary statement. Look here with me in verses 13 through 16. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Did you not agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give you, I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. And don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. That last verse, so the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. That was repeated. That was, this is a repeat of it. It was, it was discussed last week when Pastor Jonah preached from Matthew in Matthew chapter 19, verse 30. And what's it talking about? Well, it's talking about an order. It's talking about an order of the world and God's freedom to do what he wants all at the same time. So there's an order to the way work works. There's an order to the way work works. I I didn't think about that very much before I said that. (laughs) Um, One, work is an act of worship, like I say. But you know what? The great thing about God is, is that you, you get paid for an act of worship, right? You, you go to work first and then you get paid. And so there's an order to this. And so that's what happened with these people. They go to work first and then they get paid on the other side of it. And so we can see that. I mean, that's a consistent pattern with, with how people do work and their payment schedules today is you go to work first and then you get paid. And there's just an order and a pattern to the world that I would say is reflective of the fact that there is a God, he's created things, and he's made the world in an orderly way. But we have to deal with the fact that God's free and he can do things the way that he wants. And guess what? At times, he disrupts the immediate. He disrupts the right now so that the future looks more like the way he wants it to. Or the last will be first and the first will be last. Will be is a statement about the future. And so what Jesus is saying is, is there are times when God turns things upside down. He changes the order of things because something going on right here and right now ain't right. And that's consistent in the Bible the last being first and the first being last. So take, for instance, a man in the Old Testament named Joseph. Joseph is betrayed by his brothers and sold into slavery. Whenever he comes out, he goes and works for a man. And because he's a man of integrity and he won't commit adultery, he gets put in prison. And he stays in prison for a really long time. But it was because he was in prison that he eventually encounters the Pharaoh of Egypt and becomes the second most powerful man in the world. And through his work, God saves the the world from famine and starvation. So he starts out on the bottom in prison and he ends up being used by God to save thousands of people. But not only him, you have Moses Moses is a man who's got a stuttering problem and serious issues with anger. And yet, God uses him to be his mouthpiece and to lead the nation of Israel out of bondage. God uses Ruth, a woman who didn't even serve the Lord for the first portion of her life, 
She marries a godly man named Boaz, and they have children. And she eventually becomes one of the grandmothers of David, who's the king of Israel, and one of the eventual great-grandmothers of our Lord Jesus. Why? Well, because God will change the moment. He will disrupt the moment so the future looks more like the way that he wants. And so whenever you are working, you can do the work that God's provided you and leave the results to God. Like you can do the work that, you've, that God's given to you and you can trust that you will be rewarded one day in the future. But how you'll be rewarded, you don't know. And, and just because like right now the work is difficult or seems meaningless or mundane or, or whatever, just because right now there's conflict at work, just because right now you're being overlooked, doesn't mean that in the future it's going to still be this way. You can do the work with an open heart knowing that the right now doesn't determine everything. The right now doesn't say everything about the nature of your life and your work. I know that, I know that when I look at the, at the man, Jesus Christ, like think about this. Most of Jesus's life, he served the father for over 30 some years, most of which, most of which is unknown and probably not noticeable. <laughs> Most of Jesus' life, when he was teaching Bible studies, it wasn't like people came up to him and said, wow, you really blessed me. Sometimes he preached a sermon and people said that was a powerful sermon. But oftentimes he preached a sermon and he got done and everybody said, should we kill him now or wait later? He healed plenty of people and there were times where people dropped to their knees and they, and they gave him thanks. And then there were other times that he was healing people. And it's like the disciples say, yeah, next, next. He fed a lot of people. And it's not like every time he fed people, people said, wow, you must be the son of God. Other times they said, hey, can we get more? And then when his life ends, it ends and he's a bloody mess. Dies naked and ashamed. Well, that wasn't the end of his work. <laughs> no, he did his work faithfully. And guess what he did? He entrusted himself to God. And what does God do? God raises him from the dead. God rewards him by exalting him to his right hand. God looks at his faithfulness and he says, I will make you, according to Peter, I will make you both Lord and Christ. And I will give you the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, because of the work that he did, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's true in the Word, and we see that demonstrated in the Lord's Supper. You see on the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it. And he says, this is my body broken for you. You, Christian, are the reason why Jesus did his work. And in the same way, he took a cup of wine, and after giving thanks, he says, this is the cup of the new covenant sealed by the shedding of my blood. 
take, drink of it, do this in remembrance of me. For every time you eat from this bread and you drink from this cup, you announce the Lord's death until he returns. So when we participate in communion, we are doing the work of the Lord. We are saying to people, Jesus is Lord and gave his life for people like us. So at this time, we'll partake of communion ourselves. So we'll take the cup and we'll gather the wafer. And we'll remember at this time, this Christian is the body of Christ. And it was given for you. Take, eat of it. And in the same way, he took a cup of wine. We take this cup and we remember that the blood of Christ was shed for you. Take, drink it. And now at this time, we'll respond to the Lord's work after I pray through singing. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android, where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.